Relatus. You are listening to Relatus, episode four. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, so this is Bree Adams, and I'm here with a really special guest today. I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, my name is Kiana. So, Kiana, I was wondering um, if you could tell the folks listening how we know each other. Hmm. We know each other because sophomore year of high school, the best person came into my life as a counselor. She was amazing. And her name was Bria. She was a, <laughs> a shining star. I was wondering if you were going to say Miss Adams or Bree. You, you want, you want informal. Miss Adams. <laughs> Sorry. No, I think you've, I didn't even you've, notice that. You've you've earned that right. Um, so. Kiana, mm -hmm. I've been told that I don't get, like, super personal in this podcast. Um, so I thought that maybe we could start today by trying to remember if we have any funny stories together or if you have any funny memories of our time at North Lawndale. Because I had a few that came to my mind right away. But I'm going to zip my lips and see if maybe you have any stories that you would like to share with our large audience. <laughs> um... Okay, now I have to think back. No pressure. I used to come to your office a lot, <laughs> mainly for no reason. <laughs> um, let's see. What if it's not a good time? That's okay. Memories are positive and negative, right? The, okay, so this is like the one time that I thought you would be very disappointed in me. And you were. Uh, when we had that fight at school. Oh, my God. It, the look on your face, it was like, I can still see it like it was yesterday. You was just like, no, don't do this. And I, it's just, I can still play it vividly in my head, but it's not a good one. But I remember. But that, that one sticks out to you? Yeah. Okay, I have another one that's not necessarily a great one, but it might make you laugh. What? Do you remember senior year when I accused you and some others of being bullies? Uh, I kind of remember that, but I don't remember, like, who or what was the story about. Do you know what I remember? Do you know how that conversation ended? How? Um, so I made an assumption before I knew all the information, and I made an accusation that was unfair. And in return, um, I got a lot of verbal response from everyone, and I realized my mistake, and I felt really guilty, and I started crying, and I left. Do you remember this? We were in Miss Butt's office. Cry crying? Yeah, I got a little emotional because I felt really guilty. And then everyone uh, came I, to check on me because they were like, oh my God, are you okay? I think I kind of <laughs> do, but it's like, I still don't remember what the situation was. We don't need, even need to go there because it was a... Uh, it was a, a bad situation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I have a good memory. Should we do one of those? Yeah. Do you remember your senior project presentation? Oh, yes. Because that was one of my highlights. One of my most proud moments as a counselor. Yes. Um, you 
Allie, Miss Taylor. I thought I was not going to win colloquium. Y'all played it off good. I started <laughs> crying. I think I did too. Why don't we tell people what your topic was? So my topic was about female circumcision, and it stemmed from a book that I read, and it was called Vagina Monologues, and it was by Eve Ansler, and it was a short, short section, and it was about the women in Africa and what they endured about female circumcision. And I was just very fascinated because I've only heard of one circumcision, and that was male. And it, it just, like, stemmed on a whole nother, I don't want to say fascination, but just, like, a whole nother interesting topic for mm-hmm. me to just research about. Like, I've researched it on my own. I've known about it for a few years. I've followed some cases on it. And I wanted to choose a topic that a lot of people didn't really talk about like a lot of people talked about uh, like the black lives matter or uh, the criminal justice system or about jail and I talked about those topics in previous projects and I just wanted to be different than everybody else I wanted to be that sore thumb that stuck out so I chose female circumcision Mm -hmm. a lot of gross pictures but very educational no kidding I learned a lot and the way you presented it you made your own poems and I mean that was amazing I kept those stories I I hope you kept those stories those were from from everyone's perspective from the doctor's perspective from the woman's perspective I mean that was powerful I missed that I know I won that I was shocked i was in the bathroom when miss santana <laughs> presented the award for me out of her class i didn't i didn't think i was gonna get it or any award well what? you also got to come speak to that class at depaul you spoke to a grad school class when you and rakia oh yeah with my former professor um dr ackerman and you guys shared some of your experiences to some future counselors Oh my God! Yes, we're taking a stroll down memory lane here, aren't we? Yes. Ugh. Well, okay. So the reason that Kiana is here today is because she's an expert in many things, but you used the word fascination before, and Mm. we had this conversation earlier, which I wish we were recording because I think a similar fascination that we both share and maybe that's not the right word obsession i think in a previous episode this is how i said it like it's an obsession but in the sense that i just want to like talk about it all day every day and i don't understand why not everyone is talking about it all day every day and that's just this general idea of the criminal justice system in the u.s and um we'll get into i feel like we could talk about this for hours days (laughs) forever maybe um so we're gonna start very broad. Okay. And I'm gonna ask you a question, and that question is how do you feel about the criminal justice system in the US? When I say that, what are your gut So maybe this is not the best place to get answers from, but I watch a lot of crime TV shows. Ditto. And I just see that you sometimes it's the really good episodes where it's like people within the police staff or judges who often do things sweep cases under the rug or there's a lot of unsaid things that happen and as I learn more about law I want to say because I'm I was never really big on that as I learn more about it it's just 
it stems a lot of questions like, you know, how you're sworn under oath not to lie, but in cases you do have to lie. And it just it's like a lot of questionable things that happens in our system. I definitely feel like it can be I don't want to say perfected because everything can't be perfect, but it can definitely use a tune up. <laughs> right? I think that's a very fair <laughs> way to say that so what would be some of your biggest critiques or complaints or where do you think some of the biggest weaknesses lie in our criminal justice system well i would say the training that they receive can definitely play a role are we talking police specifically it can be that and it can play into Judges, mm. some judges, you know, like use there's many connections and sometimes not in the best of ways. So it's like you have dirty cops, you have dirty judges, dirty lawyers. It's, it's, it's just a whole big thing. I feel as if I don't feel like our justice system is really about justice. I just feel like it's about case closed. I mean, I wish I knew the numbers off the top of my head, but the amount of cases that are pled out before trial versus the ones that actually go to trial would indicate that the system is overwhelmed, right? Like mm -hmm. you said, how do you find justice when there are so many cases? There's a lot, like, cold cases, cases that don't get closed, cases from years ago. P.S., I love cold cases. but In general, or the yeah, show cold case? In general, because it's like, what we have now, they didn't. So it's yes. like, the things that we consider, like, oh, common sense things to use in the justice system, they they never had. So it's like a lot of people in jail for no reason they're innocent or you know it's just so many different things that's why i like cold cases a lot but mm -hmm. i don't know it's it's hard to talk about the justice system because a lot of things play into effect with it it's like i think of it from every aspect like i'm very curious so i have a lot of questions about the littlest things like what that happens like I don't know. Maybe it's wrong to say, but I just don't feel like certain people deserve lawyers. But you have to get a lawyer in order to prove whether the person is, you know, in the right or in the mm -hmm. wrong. But it's just like at a certain point when the lawyer knows that the person is guilty, I just question why would you still want to defend them? It's hard. But I know they still have a right to be defended but it's just that's what I mean mm -hmm. like I have a lot of questions maybe if I learn more about law those questions can be answered like along the lines <sighs> but would they all they wouldn't all I'll no, tell you that much because all. I but mean maybe some maybe some I think that's fair to say I think I mean when we think about what kind of defendants get lawyers mm -hmm. and what kind of defendants get good lawyers not that public defenders aren't good lawyers because i know some pretty amazing public defenders but when we talk about in terms of like how much work they do on mm -hmm. a day and how many cases they have right so i think like now we're getting into some questions about equity and like do you think our criminal justice system is fair 
in the United States? Does it treat all citizens equally? I will say yes and I will say no because you still have those people who do right by citizens. But I would probably say no for the most part just because, oh, well, one main thing, race. I don't want to make race like the main thing, but it's just there's white privilege exists, and I'm tired of people acting like it doesn't. It does, whether you realize it or not, or whether you're doing it on, like it happens on purpose or not, I would say it exists. It's a thing, and we, it's probably because our backgrounds are so different. Like, we grow up different. You know how, like, you see on Facebook things you used to grow up doing. A lot of times, ours are different than yours. For example, like, they say, like, African-American parents are more harsh on their kids. And I feel like within ourselves, we don't understand that that harsh parenting can stem a lot of problems for your child mentally. A lot of I feel as if a lot of African-American parents don't feel like their child can be affected mentally. They feel like, oh, that's, as they would say, like white people stuff. Mm -hmm. But for me personally, I know... This can happen to a lot of people. It's just, I feel like all this kind of just plays into effect together in some shape or form. But it's it's just not fair. It never has been. Look what it's built off of. And what is it built off of? What is that history? I mean, that's where a lot of things come into play. But it's, that's why I feel like it needs a tune-up. We're still using laws from... So many years ago, like, it's those people aren't even alive anymore. Why are we still using these same laws? Like, make them better. Make them modern. You make it everything else modern. Why not the laws? Why make these so permanent? It's like, they weren't built off the best of things. They weren't built off the best of things, but maybe that's what helped them back in their day. What's going to help us now? Like, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of things that's helping us. Like, a lot of people, like, for one of my projects, I read, um, for a sophomore year, I did m- Modern Day Jim Crow Laws. Yes. And I was saying, I researched that that's the exact book that I read mm-hmm. and got all my research from. Mm-hmm. Yes, Michelle Alexander, she pointed out a lot of things. And I one of my graphs showed how many... African-Americans went to jail for something related to drugs Mm. and how many years they served (sighs) versus a white person. They get let off the hook a lot when it comes to drugs. And drugs mainly, when you say drugs, a lot of people think of African-Americans. I myself think of African-Americans. But that's just because... Everyone puts it out there that that's mainly where it comes from. But you have to think about everyone. Like, some of the notorious drug dealers are African-American and Hispanic. Not a lot, maybe, for white people, but there are some. It's just, they're covered, they're protected, it's not talked about, it's hidden, it's paid to be put away and not in public's eyes for us we don't have that 
type of money to sweep things under the rug mm-hmm. like that unless we're probably mm. famous. There was this book I read called Courtroom 302 about Chicago, and I will never forget there was this one case, and it was like this dude had a little teeny rock of crack cocaine, Mm -hmm. and he had a public defender. Um, I don't even know if he had a record or not, but he ended up serving time. These two white guys had a trunk full of powder cocaine crossing state lines to go sell it and they had a lawyer and got out on probation right so if we're talking about something a minuscule little piece of essentially the same drug versus a trunk full that -hmm. you're gonna sell right so look at i pulled out some of my note cards while you were talking about drugs should we drop some statistics out there yep okay um African-Americans are 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for marijuana possession than white people, even though they use marijuana at similar rates. I also read that on one of my graphs. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Black people in prison make up, oh, oh no, black people in general make up about 12% of the drug users in the U.S. They make up about 38% of those arrested for drugs and 59% of those incarcerated for drugs. So despite only making up 12% of the drug users, they make up 60% of people who are in prison for drugs. This one makes me more angry than any others. Are you ready for this one? Yes. So there are people, this in general drives me crazy. There are people serving life in prison without parole for nonviolent offenses. So things like property crimes and drug crimes, right? So life in prison, no chance for parole for nonviolent offenses. Of those serving life in prison, 65.4% of them are black. 70% if we're talking about Illinois. So in Illinois, 70% of the offenders who are serving life without parole for nonviolent offenses are black. So in Illinois, you're 33 times more likely to serve life in prison without parole if you are an African-American. For nonviolent. We're nonviolent. Non. I just made it red. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but it, see, that's why... Why? Nonviolent. And when you think about, high, like, I also thought about this. When you think about high school, for us high school, a lot of us drink, a lot of us smoke. And when you think about high school, let's say, where it's predominantly all white kids, they use more heavier drugs than us. And I also paid attention to that when I went to ISU. And there were a lot of kids into other things Mm -hmm. and it's just like but we go to jail for these crimes mostly not you so why why is that the case i just feel like for so long it's been pinned on us that honestly it's sad to say i just feel like it's gonna forever stay that way you don't see hope in the I want to see hope so bad, but it's like every day it's the same thing. And it's like we want to do something to stop it, but then it's like, what are we honestly doing? What are we honestly doing about it? It's even some of our parents don't care that much. 
or some parents who want to care that much but just can or some parents who actually do care enough to actually do something it's it's always why I just feel like people always say history repeats itself I just feel like it's kind of repeating itself but it's spiraling way out of control it's it's getting worse than normal well what's really normal but Mm -hmm. it's getting worse it's I don't know. It's, I just don't feel like we have those supporters that we used to have back in the day that spoke up for, like, our grandparents and what they were going through. We don't have those big figures anymore, like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, even. We don't have, that, like, the Black Panther Party. We don't have things like that anymore. We don't have those groups. I mean, we do. We have, like, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and I just kind of feel like, that branches off into a different thing sometimes like all lives matter but black lives i understand the concept of the black lives matter Mm -hmm. but i'm really for all lives matter i'm for equality for everyone everyone deserves a fair chance we're all human but yet we're all treated as just like we're all totally different species like we're from some different planet or something Mm -hmm. i think like you know, when I hear people say all lives matter, usually I get pissed off because I think that means they're missing the point of the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter movement. Um, when I hear white people say it in particular, it shows me that you don't understand the struggle of African-Americans, because if you did, then you would be OK with allowing the phrase Black Lives Matter to go through. You know what I mean? When you said stories, I honestly thought of the movie. Uh, what is it called? I think A Time to Kill. Mm. Uh, we watched that in our senior class that movie just touched me to the core but personal stories who have been affected mm. and I guess do you want me to ask some questions to try to like maybe you'll think of some as I'm going yeah Because I, you know, we talked about I'm really interested in the connection between education and all of these other systems. So, like, today we're talking about the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the intersection between education and criminal justice, like, where are some, I guess, what are some, like, implications, right? So when you were in school, what experiences did you or classmates or others have with the criminal justice system and like how does school and that like play off each other would my brother fall into this yeah absolutely so i think this was about sophomore year when he sophomore year to junior year was his first year that he served um, he has 15 years. My brother is about to be 19 in February, and it's a murder case. So just to, so this would have been about five years ago that he was first incarcerated, four or five years ago? What? I'm wondering how old he was when he got his sentence. It was, I don't know, because it was like a lot with the case. He sat for a while before he actually got his sentencing. Okay. So, okay, maybe the years are wrong. Cause That's okay. This would he, this would be his second year he's serving, I think, or second going on third. Okay. So, probably around the beginning of junior year, end of sophomore year. And so your brother's currently about to turn 19. Yes, he is. Okay. Sorry for interrupting. Keep going. 
No, he's not. He's about to be 20. God. I forgot that I'm <laughs> that I'm 20. I thought I was still 19. No, you're old, too. <laughs> but that took a toll on me because I don't really know. I know my brother, but we haven't been around each other in years. Like, we see each other once or twice out the year. Him and my older sister, they live in Milwaukee with their mother. So, me not getting to know him took a toll on me because it's the only way that we can communicate is by secures and putting money on the phone and writing letters. And I'm the type of person that when I grow go through so much, I have bad anxiety. Like, I have anxiety attacks. I overthink situations. And for my brother, it hurted me because what would our bond be like? I have to wait 15 years to to be able to hug you and to go places with you. Like, it's 15 years of our life that you're going to miss. Mind you, we have a two-year-old sister you're going to miss. She's going to be 15 when you see her, 15, 16 years old, and... She's not going to be anything that you remember. And she's going to grow up knowing stories of you and probably visiting you. But it's you have to be home for us to actually get that bond. It's hard when you're when you have restrictions and it's it's sad, but it's I mean, it runs in the family. Look at our dad. That's. He's went to jail countless of times, and all his crimes are for really drugs or gun possessions. Mm -hmm. And you do have those who, you know, they actually do the stuff. They're not entirely innocent, which I'm okay to say. Mm -hmm. But it's just like when you come to school and you try to be focused and doing your work, it's like, home starts to hit you at some point whether you come to school and let's say you can have a class discussion on the criminal justice system like that can make me think about my brother and unlawful things happening and then some people who actually need to serve the time for the crime that they've done so it's like I can be in the middle with the feelings it's like you know you did the crime you gotta do the time Mm -hmm. but then it's like I don't know. It's it's a lot to think about. Is I have my father going in and out of jail. He my for the first seven years of my life, I had just my stepdad. I mean, I knew who my father was. I would go visit him sometimes, but he didn't really like that. He didn't like us seeing him like that and mm-hmm. talking through a glass and on the phone. He didn't he didn't want us to come see him, which is why he preferred calls or letters. So to know that we have to do this, but for a longer period of time. Can, it can kind of take a toll on you. It can wonder if which one of my siblings is probably next or how can I prevent them from doing this? And I don't know. It's like when when it's a lot of stuff going on at home, basically, it can take a toll on your mind in school and you don't have a lot of people to talk to. It's not a lot of people that understand you or know what you're going through because they honestly and truthfully live a totally different life from you Mm -hmm. when you walk outside of your like when i walked outside of north lawndale my mindset changes 
I'm in a whole nother different place. Survival instincts kicked in. It's a real world out here. Besides, when I'm in school, it's it's school. It's the school girl. It's my friends, my counselors, my teachers, homework, quizzes. It's like so much you have to worry about. But the moment you step foot out of those doors, I think it's safe to say all of our mindset changes. It's We're living a totally different life. And when we get in here, we don't have that support system. It's it's just basically you you didn't go through what we go mm-hmm. through. You went through things probably totally different or some things may be the same, but it's it's hard. I want to talk about that mindset. So like what specifically, if you can, changes? So you're in school, you're focused on friends and work and blah, blah, blah. And then you step out that door and the way you say it is like a curtain is lifted or something, right? It's instantly outside life. It's, it can be outside friends. It could be... What are you going to do later? For me, when I step outside of North London, when I used to step outside of North London doors, it's my life. I'm watching my surroundings. I'm watching the people around me. Because believe it or not, high school stuff can stem to outside. I fights and all types of things. And you have gangs that's the Lawndale area is pretty populated with it. Like, you just have to watch out for those things because you never know who it could be. It's like, it's, to me, it's like a, a reality check. It's like, you're not in school. You're out here on your own. You have to travel home. I live in Austin, the Austin community. Worst community right now, probably, I think at one point I read we had more crime rates than Inglewood, and they were number one, and we beat them. And it's not something to be proud of. It's definitely something to be worried about, especially when you live in the heart of the neighborhood. It's times where my brother will be, oh, one day my brother was walking home from the train because he goes to a high school and Trinsic is kind of new. And he witnessed a shooting right there on the corner in front of a church. They were shooting across the street at the corner store. It's literally Across the street, one side is a different gang, the other is another gang. And Mm -hmm. they are into it. It's like those people can't even go to the corner store without having to fear their life. They have to walk all the way down the street to the liquor store. It's like it's just a totally different ball game. In high school, you could pretty much go anywhere you want. There's no, I mean, you have kids who gang bang in there or whatever, but it's not a lot of it that falls into the school. Like, the heart of the violence is not in the school. It's on the streets where a lot of us were born and raised. It's a lot. It's like what all these kids know. It's like what our, it's like what I know, what my father, uncles grew up going through. It's like, it's just something different. But I'm glad that my mother took us to a different school, grammar school. So it's like a lot of these things... I didn't know about coming into North London. It was like a big reality check for me. I've never been at a predominantly all-black school. So it was like a culture shock. Some things I didn't know, some things I did, but it's I'm not really heavy into it. Like, I've never did these things myself, as most kids have. Mm-hmm. And it's like I come from a different world. From A.M. Prickster to North London is a totally different ball game, Kind of. It's a totally different ballgame, but mm-hmm. 
two different neighborhoods. Ricker Park, you probably have to worry about robbings. A lot of people stealing bikes, wallets, things like that. As to where North Lawndale, you have to actually fear of getting hurt physically, like getting shot, getting jumped on, uh, or raped in the park. You know, like it was a lot of things going on in that neighborhood that... I didn't see often in the Wicker Park neighborhood. So you can see the actual difference and the crime rate difference. And it was just overall a big cultural shock for me. But walking out of Pritzker doors, it was, we're going to the park. We're going to 7-Eleven. We're going to buy Slurpees. We're going to Wingstop. It was just something different that we did. It, I never had to walk outside. I'm like, okay. This McDonald's, we can't go in because we fight too much inside of it and we have all been banned. And it's like, this corner is not a safe corner. You mean corner the one on Roosevelt? <laughs> yes. They banned us at least <laughs> once or twice every year. And it's a lot of high schools in the area. So mm -hmm. only four high school students can be in that McDonald's at one time. That's what the rules were. Wow. They had posted outside. It used to be a line of us that's outside. And that place was bumping. So, like, that's not many customers at once. That's not really safe for all of us to stand outside like this either. Good point. It really wasn't. Like, you fighting inside of McDonald's would probably been safer than fighting outside on the street. But, but. Mm, good. Okay, so I'm glad you mentioned that because I was thinking about this while you were talking about, like, the neighborhood and mm -hmm. how your mindset changes when you walk outside. So I guess maybe someone who's not familiar with North Lawndale, not familiar with Chicago, might wonder, like, about the police. So, mm -hmm. like, Aren't there police around? There definitely are police around. And I just feel like at this point, the police are going to grab any and everybody that they see. They don't really care what happened. All they know is they were called here for some reason. So they're going to take everybody, I feel like. You don't really get to tell your side of the story that much. Whether it was your fault or not, it's like we're not being heard. You're just going to be punished for it. I mean, there's police. There's people who protect them. And then for us, it's like, even for me, myself, I'm not very fond of police. I feel like it, really their training that they get is off to me. Like you're trying to kill your I feel like that's. I mean, you used to be a peace warrior, so you trained other teachers and students on mm -hmm. things like restorative practices. Exactly. So it would make sense Pure that jury. you have frustration with a more violent approach. Yeah, like sometimes you can't, you can't escape the violence. You're pulled into it, whether you like it or not. Like for instance, if you get jumped on, it's like it's nothing really that you can do. But you know ball up and protect yourself as best as you can it's like sometimes you can't un you can't escape the unavoidable like it's there you've been forced into it and it's just like what are you going to do about it at that point and I feel like police can help in a big way by talking to the kids but and then you get the snitches, get stitches ordeal. And uh, what you're talking to the police for, they're not going to do nothing for you. In some cases, that may be true. In some cases, it may not be true. It's, it's all about the cop, I guess, itself. And 
where their heart is at? Is their heart honestly set on helping the citizens or is it just set on getting rid of the problem? Right. So you were mentioning that it's kind of this mentality, like, we're just going to take everyone. We'll ask questions later. We'll figure it out later. So do you know anything about, like, you know, Cook County down, not really down the road, but in Chicago, Mm -hmm. Cook County Jail? Um, Do you know anything about how, like, how many people in there have actually been convicted of a crime? That I don't. Have you ever learned this? No. That I don't know. But I do know that there's just a lot of people sitting in there. Hmm. You ready for some numbers? Because this, I knew the same thing. I knew that this was an issue and I'd heard Mm -hmm. about this. But 70,000 people pass through there every year. About 7,500 at any given time. Of those 7,500, 92% have not been convicted. So they're just waiting. 92% 92% of the people there haven't even been convicted of a crime. That I couldn't I couldn't even believe that. You want to take it a step yes. further? Should we get even deeper? Yes. 2 to 300 of them mm. on any given day could get out with $500 or less. That's how much their bond is, $500 or less. So that's 2 to 300 people on any given day that have a financial barrier to their freedom mm-hmm. and they haven't even been convicted. The average bond hearing in Cook County lasts 37 seconds and it's done. So we have all these people who have not been convicted. Any guesses on racial breakdown? Do you think it's fair? No. no. And I can probably take a guess at who's mostly in there. Take a guess. African Americans and Hispanics. <sighs> yes. Mostly maybe African Americans are in there. And I remember do you remember we took a the trip to the jail? Yes. That was amazing. I mean amazing from the perspective like Yeah. Now that I know that ninety two percent of those people were just waiting, that completely changed my perspective, you know what I mean? Some of those people could have just matched the profile yeah. and not have even been nowhere near the crime scene. Ugh. I found, so this is the last Cook County Jail stat. I thought this one was crazy. So last year, mm-hmm. 1,000, 1,024 inmates served their entire sentence before their sentencing. So whatever their possible max sentence was, over 1,000 people served it. And it was a total of 222 extra years. So those 1,000 people served a cumulative 200 plus extra years before they were even brought in front of a judge for their case, for sentencing. Wow. We're going to be sitting in a pile of note cards pretty soon. (laughs) That's just... And just to sit there all that time for... For maybe nothing. Yeah. And sometimes... Sometimes jail may be the safest place for people. Maybe waiting in there is very unjust to you, but it also kept you alive for a few more years. Where's Mm -hmm. the ass? You could have probably been into it with somebody and they were out to get you. Jail would have been the safest place for you, hmm. away from them. But still, that's that's absurd. It's crazy. I mean, you sat there and served your whole sentencing time before they even gave it to you. I remember 
there was a kid I knew who was 16 or 17, and there was a malfunction with his monitoring device. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to, like, get to the bottom of it, he was immediately arrested on the spot, like we were talking about. Anytime there's a disruption, mm-hmm. no questions asked, you're just picked up. So it turns out this kid is sent to adult lockup at Cook County. He's 16, 17 years old. He was there for a good three, four months, even though the judge knew it was a malfunction. They had all of this paperwork, all of this documentation saying that there was an error that night. But every time he went to court, the other attorney, the prosecutor, wanted a stay, right? Wanted, I need more time, or I need blah, blah, blah. So they just kept postponing and postponing and, and postponing. And, I mean, this this is a part that, like, I feel... So, like, me, he had this other advocate. The assistant principal was really involved. Like, we showed up to court when he was finally brought through. We wrote letters because we were like, this is crazy. And the judge saw us there three white people and was like oh let's let him go he might be fine but what about every other single person who was affected by that like yes it's great that like advocacy helps but the fact that like it made me almost feel sick right like if we're not here then what do these other 16 17 year olds who've done nothing wrong Mm -hmm. have in their corner like uh, it was that's that's crazy and that's a, that's the thing that I'm talking about you knew that there was a malfunctioning why are you continuing his case why do you still have him sitting in here when you know you have nothing but an error on your end okay I have another stat for you because we were talking about this sometimes jail might be safer for some you mentioned that right mm-hmm. The clearance rate, which means the amount of murders solved in Chicago. You want to read that percentage? 18%. You might as well say 2% at Mm. that. 18%. I don't... I honestly don't feel like... I feel like these murders are just going to be grouped as gang-related, gang-related, gang-related. Well, that's kind of where... so. Do you think a clearance rate could ever be 18% in a rich white suburb? I actually feel like the percent would probably be higher. Yeah. Th- closer to what? Probably like in the... A hun- I mean, not 100, but like 80 high 80s, right? Well, so yeah. when we look at the percentage of, let's say, victims in Chicago who are black, it's a higher percentage than white or Latino, right? And, like, this, you know, this is a conversation that I don't even know. Oh, my God, we have so much more to talk about. (laughs) But this idea, like, a lot of people will say things like black-on-black crime is a problem, blah, blah, blah. All crime typically is within your own race, Mm -hmm. right? So, white on white crime blah 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 like to me i have so many ways that i can dismantle that argument that like i'm not even going to get into that now but what we do know is that black people are more likely to be incarcerated for things like drug offenses but what we also know is that no one really cares when black people are murdered because our clearance rate is 18 percent. so how do we like it doesn't make sense our prisons are full of of black people young black men especially for dumb stuff, for petty drug offenses, but 18% clearance rate 
when we live in a city that has a decent amount of homicides. Not the worst in the U.S., even though some people think, oh, Chicago, like, it's so crazy, it's so violent. It, you know, statistically, it's, you know, like, top, what, 15, maybe, like, per capita or something yeah. like that. But, I don't know, this is a crazy one. Like, hmm. I feel like if... I don't know, like... Okay, so, you know, at the end of a Time to Kill, how the lawyer told the same story, but at the end made you picture a different race. I feel like if in some shape or form it was happening to them, then they will understand the real problem with these situations. Like with us, it's just... It's gang related. You're you're never gonna find the reason why. You're never gonna find the person why. But then it's like, are you actually looking for that person? Are you actually putting forth the effort? Like, are you actually doing your job mm-hmm. as a cop or as a detective to figure out who did it? And then you have us as a community who play the we didn't see anything. We're not gonna say anything because we fear our lives. Because you've seen. Young black people gunned down by police officers in the back. And then people complain when African-Americans don't snitch or, you know, like, trust the police. Well, looks what happened. Why would you trust the police? It's not going to play in our favor if we tell you. Then you have those police who uh, manipulate you into thinking that you actually did it or trying to get you to put the blame on somebody else. It's like they play a lot of mind games Mm. with you when you are incarcerated or when you're being interrogated. They they beat you psychologically into they make you into what they want you to be. And it's like you can't do that to everybody. Like, Mm mm-hmm. You can't, like, what's, like, the case with the, I forget his name, the kid who did the church shooting, killed, walked into the church and killed all those mm-hmm. African-American people. What happened to him? That case just blew my mind away. People actually made a GoFundMe page for him. Shut up. Of course. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. I'm sure I could probably predict what picture they showed of him. He was probably wearing a nice dress shirt, and he was smiling, and the headline said something like misunderstood or mentally ill or, you know, like, not, certainly not terrorist or thug, even exactly. though he just opened fire on a but church full of we people. we were the ones to do it, oh, it would be a whole nother different story and mental problems would not play I think in the slightest no way they'd go back and find some photo from 10 years ago from a previous crime from a or from a birthday party where you have your hands up and it looks like you're throwing up a gang sign just to make it look like I mean have you ever seen that thing that's like white offenders versus black victims have you ever seen this <gasps> so it's like basically what we're talking about right is that but but not even black offenders. So we're talking about black victims. Mm-hmm. So Eric Garner and other black men and women who've been killed by the police or whatever. Portraying black victims as thugs, right? Mm-hmm. Versus this white killer. I remember like Dylan Roof is the one who walked into that movie theater and like the way that they portrayed uh, him. The Batman movie? Yeah, remember that one? Mentally ill, blah, blah, blah. So it's like 
we're going to say that Eric Garner was a drug dealer because he was selling loose cigarettes. And yes, he has a criminal record, but we're going to use all of that when he's murdered by the police. We're going to use that to defame his... Defame? Is that the right word? Deface his character? Probably. Something like that. So we're going to use that. But then, so it's black victims versus white offenders and the difference in media portrayal. All right. And unfortunately, we have to wrap this up um i'll be back with some statistics and i'll talk to you soon Hello again. Um, I just listened to the conversation with Kiana, and I can't believe how many um, intense and complex issues we zoomed through uh, pretty quickly today, especially at the end. But Kiana's great, isn't she? Um, Before I go on, I have to offer this minor correction I noticed when I listened. Um, I don't even like want to give more breath to this, but I do recognize that I messed up the names of the Charleston Church and Aurora Theater terrorists. That's my bad. But enough of that, because with this interview in particular and this topic in particular, um, I feel like we had such a good conversation, but right now I'm just completely overwhelmed by how much I want to convey about the criminal justice system. Um, about the racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system here in the U.S. And there's no way I can do that today. So instead of just spouting off statistics, I want to hone in a bit and make sure that we highlight the school-to-prison pipeline specifically. Because when we talk about systems and how they affect education, this one is unbelievable. So our first stop is preschool. Um, African-American preschoolers make up 18% of enrollment, but 48% of the preschoolers who receive multiple out-of-school suspensions. All right, so of the preschoolers who are receiving more than one out-of-school suspension, um, African-American preschoolers make up 48% of that group. And this takes into consideration that despite multiple attempts, no data exists to show that African-American students actually misbehave at higher rates. Um, In fact, a study by the Yale Child Center identified, are you ready for it? Implicit racial bias among early educators as a likely source of the disproportionate punishment received by black boys. So in this study, Teachers watched a video of preschoolers and they were asked to identify any challenging behaviors. So on average, these educators watched the black boys in the video more closely and flagged them as displaying challenging behaviors more often. So what the participants didn't know was that the video featured no challenging behavior whatsoever. So these findings show us that Again, these underlying causes of preschool discipline might not actually be rooted in child behavior, but rooted in flaws in adults' decision-making. 
Um, so if you heard episode two, uh, that was the conversation with Kendra. We talked about discipline statistics for black girls who are also disproportionately affected. All right, so some corroborating evidence to that, uh, black students are more likely to be suspended for subjective reasons, like disrespect. So again, that's something that's perceived. Um, so let's continue on our journey along the school-to-prison pipeline, some more school data. So even though they make up about 16% of public school enrollment, African-American students represent 42% of students who received multiple suspensions and represent 31% of school-related arrests. Overall, African-American students are suspended three times more than white students. And a reminder, there's absolutely no evidence, despite attempts, to show that black students actually misbehave at higher rates. It's all about perception. So now, after all of this, the kicker... Students suspended or expelled for a discretionary violation are nearly three times more likely to be in contact with the juvenile justice system the following year. So in fact, along every stop in the criminal justice system, the odds are really stacked against young African Americans. So again, 14% of the U.S. population under 18 is black. However, African-American kids make up 32% of children who are arrested, 42% of children who are detained, and 52% of those whose cases are moved to adult criminal court. So this, my friends, is the school-to-prison pipeline. Kiana and I covered some racial disparities um, at multiple levels of the criminal justice system. But I want to add just a few more big picture statistics to kind of reemphasize some of these discrepancies. Um, so an African-American man is five times more likely to end up in prison in their lifetime than a white man. One in three black men born in the year 2000 will end up in prison compared to one out of 17 white men. And for the record, one out of six Latino men, one out of 45 Latino women, one out of 111 white women, and one out of 18 black women. If Latinos and African Americans were arrested and sentenced proportionally to white people, our prison population would decline by 40%. Let that one sink in for a second. As a general reminder, too, right now, the U.S. contains 5% of the world's population, but 21% of the world's prisoners. And between 1980 and 2015, the number of incarcerated individuals in the U.S. grew from around half a million to 2.2 million. So it more than quadrupled. Um, that's whew, it's another conversation, the, the prison industrial complex coming soon. And speaking of coming soon, I don't know about you, but some loose ends, in my opinion, that we're going to have to talk about someday. Um, you know, we briefly mentioned the Chicago clearance rate for murder, and I have so much more to say about that. Um, I also have a lot more to say about everything from law enforcement strategies like broken windows policing and stop and frisk 
to some sentencing inequities like mandatory minimums. And of course, I want to get more Chicago specific and hear some stories about the impact of these policies and laws. Um, I want to touch more on some great points Kiana brought up about community mistrust and perception of police and police shootings, brutality, coercion, seizure. My God, I can't believe we haven't talked about civil forfeiture. But alas, our time is ticking for today. Um, Kiana shared some of her experiences having a parent who was incarcerated. So I wanted to end by calling to mind all the young people out there who carry a caregiver's incarceration with them daily to school. Um, So more than half of all inmates have children. And of these incarcerated parents, nearly half of them had lived with their children one month prior to their arrest. Um, More than half provided the primary financial support before they were incarcerated. Um, The average incarceration time is over a year just across the board. Um, And then, of course, we have some strong associations between parental incarceration and increases in a number of health and mental health problems in young adulthood. So that includes depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, high cholesterol, asthma, migraines, uh, and overall health problems. So if we've already kind of cemented in the point that African Americans are more likely to become entangled in the criminal justice system, disproportionately so, then it's obvious that this affects African American children and communities at more significant rates. So again, this comes back to conversations we've had here before, that by helping young people understand and express emotion, SEL, uh, educators can help mitigate some of these negative effects. Uh, I didn't want this episode to be too problem-heavy and not very solution-focused, but unfortunately, there's a lot to untangle. But don't worry, we are going to talk about school climate later on this season, because if there's one thing we know about the school-to-prison pipeline, it's that we can directly counter it by using disciplinary alternatives to suspension and expulsion. Um, We want to keep kids out of the system, and we can do that by prioritizing restorative justice and fostering connections, helping students understand context, their aptitudes. I mean, we're back to SEL again, where I'm convinced all roads lead. Um, And speaking again of all roads leading, we encountered implicit bias one more time here today, um, always rearing its ugly head. So here's just a parting reminder for everyone and educators especially to check your bias. And that's an ongoing process. Uh, I am signing off for now. But Relatus will be back next month with a conversation about housing and all that entails um, and advocacy with a wonderful young lady named Jayla. So happy 2018 and have a good one. Relate us.